Today, we're welcoming our friend, Dr. Dini Eichenstein, to the podcast. Dr. Dini is a psychologist with a practice in Beverly Hills, California. She specializes in girls and women with anxiety. In this episode, you'll hear several moments where Dr. Dini blows our minds. Dr. Dini has a true gift for taking complex issues and simplifying them, and her impact is tremendous. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 52 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. Today, we're really excited to have psychologist Dr. Dini Eichenstein with us. And she specializes in working with children and women with anxiety and other things. Her practice is in Beverly Hills. And we're really excited because Dr. Dini has done some client work with Rachel and her practice. So we invited her on the podcast. It's been a really wonderful partnership based in friendship. So I want to be honest, Dini and I have known each other 10 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think it has. (laughs) Is that true? You're right. It's close to 10 years. So many moons ago, Deanie and I were both preschool teachers in the same classroom. That was a really fun teaching team because we were all friends with each other and nobody took the work. I'll say it. Nobody took it super seriously. (laughs) That made the rest of the team suffer because whenever you're working in a team of three, Usually one person cares a lot, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We all cared about our kids, but we were relaxed with each other, which was wonderful. It was the best. It was the best. But you only taught for one year. So tell us what happened after that. Well, I taught for two years, one with you. Oh. Um, I was always planning to go back to grad school for psychology. Just wanted some time out in the world first. Yeah. And I loved teaching and I loved my relationship with the kids and families, but I wanted to work with them from a different angle. I didn't care so much about the education, as you might remember. I cared a lot about the social emotional curriculum. Right. So... I always knew that was what I wanted. After teaching, I went to grad school. I got my PsyD, which is a doctorate in clinical psychology, and really found my calling there and started building my practice and working with clients individually and their families. And that's where I am now. Dini, how long have you been in private practice? I think it's been three and a half years. I think it's been three and a half years because the reason I'm asking that is I think we started our practices around the same time. Yeah. So Rachel and I still get to work together, which is so fun. Because we share clients and we've shared clients over the years. And how lucky are those clients? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've loved getting to partner with you over the years with clients because I think it's a huge benefit. I have too. It's a huge benefit to our kids. And I know exactly which clients to send to you, which are those with anxiety Mm -hmm. and those that will benefit from kind of the girl mindset stuff that you're deeply passionate about, right? Yeah. And I love working with you because I think we see things similarly, but we work in different disciplines. So it's this really nice crossover where I feel like we have similar perspectives but then we have like different expertise and when we come together, it's such a good holistic treatment plan. 
It really is. I love is. that. I love that. That's such a good story. It's a feel good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dini, it's really well documented that there's been a huge influx of anxiety. I mean, we're both in Beverly Hills. We're, we both work with families of means. And a lot of the time, parents are very high achieving as well. How do you see kind of the influx of anxiety? What have you noticed? I work with anxiety. So I see so much anxiety. It's hard for me to even notice that there's an influx because it's just what I see day in, day out. But I know that there's an influx because I exist in the world and I read and I see it. And I think there's a lot of different actors that go into contributing to people's anxiety. I think just like macro, like zooming out, the state of the world is hard right now. We're in an anxious time. This past few years, things feel very fragile. And I think kids absorb that. They absorb the tension. That's like the big picture. And then getting a little closer, I think just technology, social media has a huge impact on people's anxiety. Having everything documented I feel so lucky that we grew up in a time where like if we weren't invited to something or if people were hanging out without us, we didn't know. We couldn't see it. Now it's like they can see it on their phones. Everything's documented. There's no privacy. And I think it's making people and kids also just a lot less present because everyone's just on their phones, on screens. And that is a real distraction from internal world feelings, sensations, things that people need to pay attention to, to feel less anxious. It's interesting that you say that because it's absolutely something that gets brought up in my sessions. I know when there's a party that my kids haven't been invited to, the parents will often warn me that that's what the kid is kind of experiencing and feeling Mm -hmm. that day. Mm -hmm. Never thought about it from the perspective that everything is so well documented. You know, I have friends that don't put their kids on social media at all. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand that. It also feels there's a part of me that wishes they would so I could see their kids grow up because I do enjoy that piece of it too. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed particularly amongst my girls who are in elementary school and middle school, the social piece, and this is across the board in my practice, not just the people that the families that I'm working with, but the families that my team is working with too. The girls in particular are primarily socially focused mm-hmm. when they're coming in, and which I understand because you want to feel socially secure in order to be able to kind of go to the next step and focus on learning. Mm-hmm. Steph, what are you seeing? Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot too. And I was just thinking back to episode 48 when we were talking and really 49, we were talking about backsliding and we were talking with Catherine Schnabel, Milkshake Girl. And how when there is a social element, she doesn't do her homework and she doesn't seem to do as well on tests. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes we don't know it in real time what's going on. But sometimes I've found that when we go back and look as to what happened that week Uh or what was going on in your life, why didn't you get those assignments in, it comes back to a lot of social stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. How do we help our kids as ed therapists? We're not psychologists, right? How do we help our kids through those moments that are impacting the academics and impacting the educational piece 
And we don't necessarily want to be spending a whole bunch of our session time processing that with them. It happens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have no choice. But what are some of the strategies that you see that can be effective? And is it just sitting with your feelings? I mean, that's a really big part of that. I think that oftentimes people, not just parents, but people in general, their instinct is that they don't want their kid to feel bad. So let's just zoom past it or let's just ignore it because we don't want them to feel bad. But actually they already feel bad. So doing that is really kind of sends the message that they shouldn't feel that way or their parents don't have room for it. They don't, no one wants to see that, put that away. It can create feelings of shame and embarrassment when hard feelings come up, which is just a part of life. So I think, I think like, not trying to fix it at first and just letting them have their experience and kind of being a mirror for them, putting words to their experience if they can't do that, depending on their age, helping them sit with it and letting them know it's okay how they feel before moving on to like a redirect. But it's not that bad because, you know, not everyone was trying to like take it away from them. Often I think like those instincts can be so counterproductive, even though they're coming from such a good, loving, protective place. Makes a lot of sense. I know this is reminding me, I got to buy those cubes that you have in your office, those feeling cubes stuff. Oh yeah. I have the inside out characters sitting on my desk that I work with students and particularly the elementary, sometimes middle school kids, I ask them what they're feeling every day when they come in. I love that. We talk about what and why and, and you can have more than one feeling. The other day a client had three. Mm-hmm. So she picked disgust and nobody ever picks disgust, but she said something that she ate was disgusting. So <laughs> she's younger. So I think mm-hmm. that those are a great conversation starter with you know, just breaking into how are you right in this moment as we dig into school stuff, because that's a part of it. Mm -hmm. Our jobs are to keep them separate, but you can't really, it's like you're dealing with a whole person. Right. There are times when we are very goal oriented in our sessions. This kid has a test coming up yeah, or they're at their peer level and I don't want them to fall back if we're working on writing, for example. And so I sometimes feel the pressure of having to accomplish stuff Mm -hmm. in session. And sometimes I feel a little jealous of you that in your work, you can just sit with the feelings and like, sometimes we have to let the whole session be about the feelings too, because the kid can't move beyond it. Yeah. But I feel jealous that you can just sit with the feelings. (laughs) Let me tell you why I'm jealous of you now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I sometimes get jealous that you have such a concrete way to measure improvement and I don't. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like therapy work can be really devalued because of that, because it's invisible. Yes. And sometimes I'm just planting seeds and I don't get to see the fruits of my labor or our labor together, but (laughs) I know from experience that the work is so important, but I don't get those tangible results. I mean, sometimes I do. Sometimes you just see it, but you know, sometimes I'm jealous that you're like, okay, we're going to get your grades up. We're going to see it reflected in numbers. Like there's no way to evaluate psychological growth like that. 
they try, but it's so flawed. Right. I think we talked about this in the backsliding episode. And so what that episode was about, Dini, was about how it's part of the natural process of educational therapy to take like three steps forward, one step back. And what happens when our client takes that step back is everybody around them kind of gets triggered. Mm-hmm by that backslide. It's normal. Mm -hmm. Things are going better. So they stop using the strategies that they've implemented that have made things better. And now we've taken a couple steps back. There is an element of that piece that isn't tangible for parents. And it's kind of our responsibility to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you remember when this was happening every day? Mm -hmm. And because parents are living it, they're experiencing it. It's like, you don't see your child grow. Like you don't notice that they're growing every day, but then you look at a picture from two years ago, you're like, oh my goodness, yeah. how did all that growth happen? I get what you're saying. I feel like when therapy is working, people stop going, <laughs> right? Sometimes they stop going before it has a chance to work. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes people are like, well, I just want to come once a month. And I'm like, well, what would happen if you went to the gym a month? Yes. We talk about that too. Not enough not enough so I don't see clients for less than once a week and right I get how that's an overwhelming time and money commitment but if you really break it down time wise it's one hour of week right. how many hours do you have in your week I can't do the math <laughs> but <Right>. it's, <laughs> it's not that much that's what I say to myself every time I go to spin I'm Good like, I have 30 minutes. I have 45 minutes I can give to myself right now. It's 45 minutes out of a 24-hour day. Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense to remember those kinds of things. But I also think that one of the things, and I have several clients, we're not looking at grades at all. We're just looking at the fostering the love of learning. Mm. So I understand it's not tangible in a way, mm -hmm. except for that I'll get a parent saying, you know, he or she picked up a book the other day and wanted to read on their own for a few minutes. Amazing. And that was a first. Or they asked if they could help me cook dinner. And that was a first. Cool. Things like that because they wanted to learn how to cook or they wanted to learn how, you know, they're learning how to read and all of that. So I get what you're saying about those kids are a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when they don't want to go to school because they hate it so much, it's really hard to see, especially with a lot of the kids that have anxiety. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about this because I have a couple of cases in high school. I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it where – they get overwhelmed by everything mm -hmm. and everything's coming at them and they're high achieving kids. So they're doing all the things. Mm -hmm. And the way this really presents for the majority of my kids is when they're tasked with writing, they're completely overwhelmed by the scope of the project. And we've talked in previous episodes about how writing is the ultimate executive functioning task. It requires a lot. It demands a lot out of us. But one of the things that I've been really focusing on lately, and it's funny how there's like trends in the practice of like, you realize you're doing this with multiple people at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because I'm aware that I'm doing it with another kid. So now I'm, I'm going to, I don't know what's causing it, but I've noticed that there's something going on right now with everybody. And I'm really trying to get the kids to focus on the tree and not the forest. They get overwhelmed by the forest. And even... 
sometimes I break it down even further. I'm like, no, 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 focus on the leaf. Mm-hmm. Just focus on the leaf of the tree. What are some strategies that you can think of, Dini, that would be beneficial for those kids that get overwhelmed by the enormity? I do a lot of what ifing too with them. But what else can you... What do you mean by what if So some of them are stymied by even starting because they're like, I have to write eight pages. Well, what happens if you only write seven and a half? Well, I won't get such a good grade. Okay, and then what happens? Well, it's, it might affect my grade in that class. Okay, and then what happens? Like, what if that happens? And we kind of just keep going down the path of like, and what it ultimately usually comes back to is I'm not going to get into college. Mm. So what's happened is with this one mm-hmm. that the three of us would consider, you know, it's work, but it's not, it's not our entire future. These kids are equating one singular assignment with the rest of their future. A half a page, really. Half a page sometimes. And it's too overwhelming because if I don't do well, I am going to fail at life is what it really comes down to. You and I know that's not what's going to happen. But they have this intense pressure on themselves, anxiety and fear that prevents them from even getting started. Right. So, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like my job is to take apart the catastrophizing and like go from the end of like not getting into college start there like what is that all about and your job I feel is like how do I get them to just write the essay how do I get them to just start the essay you know yeah. <laughs> and then when we come together we're like doing the whole picture yeah it's like we're coming from two separate like <laughs> yeah. yeah like why are they so afraid of failing where does that come from like self-esteem work all of that but I I do see a lot of kids and adults who have, you know, executive function and procrastinate stuff. And all of them, I think, agree literally not about the work. It's about starting. Yeah. Once they're working, whatever. Maybe they need to take breaks. Maybe they get distracted. But, like, all of that buildup is just sitting in, like, this, I don't want to start. So... If there's a way to get them to not think about it, I think that's the like most successful way to like achieve it. If you let yourself engage in the process of thinking, you will always find a way to convince yourself to put it and to not start and to like stay in the worry. But if you can get them to just start, it kind of nips it in the bud. We've talked about that before. We've seen that before. What I'm finding and as we're talking about this, I'm like, okay, I need to do something different with a couple clients. And I think I need to have longer sessions because what ends up happening is we like to do all the thinking about what you're going to write in sessions so that when you go home, all you got to do is like put it into sentences. Mm-hmm. What I find is they struggle with even that, putting it into sentences. So I'm thinking that If we can do the work of the pre-writing, and then they can also start writing paragraphs in session, they might have an easier time continuing on because there's already stuff on the page. Yeah, I think so. But again, like every student is different. Yeah. And what would you say to the parents who maybe don't have access to an ed therapist or something like that? Or a therapist. Yeah, or a therapist that are dealing with a kid not wanting to... Because I've had kids who 
just won't turn anything in because they don't want to write it or start it. Mm -hmm. And the parents are super frustrated because they don't know how to help. Do you have any tips? I think it depends on the age. Like if they're teenagers, oftentimes I feel like parents can be so on top of them that it amps up everyone's anxiety. The parents Mm -hmm. are trying to prevent them from being anxious. So they're like, did you start yet? Did you start yet? Did you start yet? And they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And everyone just like the anxiety is just bailing. Sometimes I tell parents to just stop. If they don't turn it in, if they don't finish it, they need to feel that consequence and learn from that and having their parents micromanage them. And Dini, I just want to clarify you haven't listened to that many episodes of the podcast. So guys, somebody from outside <laughs> is saying exactly what we've been saying oh, for the last I, year. I, on the- I had, yes. Oh yeah. I had no idea that you guys say that. Okay. Well, we really believe particularly in middle school and high school. Hopefully it starts in middle school that you have to give your kids this opportunity to fail so they can live in that. They can experience that. It's not going to be, make it or break it, whether or not they're going to live an independent and successful life so that they can do, start doing things different. Because what needs to happen in middle school is the kid needs to start taking on more and the parent needs to start taking on less. That's right. It's that difficult balance of just removing the right amount of support and the kid rising to the occasion. If this is really a good process to have another professional, like an educational therapist or like Dini, a psychologist, to have as part of the process because we can help the kids not completely fall apart, but let them wiggle around a little bit. And we can help the parents make them feel like it's okay. Yeah. And this is why we're doing it. And part of the reason why you're doing it is because if they feel like their work is their parents' responsibility, then it's not their responsibility. Like if they, you know what I mean? Like they need to take some ownership. Oh, let's mark that time and place that Danny just said that. Can you say that again? (laughs) Can I say that again? Yeah, it's a really good point. (laughs) If parents take on the responsibility for their teenagers' work, then the kids will never take ownership over their own work and it will not be their responsibility. So to have ownership over their deadlines and their work, then they have to be in charge to some extent. I just want us to all take that in for a second. I totally am. I'm just sitting here for a second. (laughs) So true. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be more true. And I'm sure there are people listening to this right now and thinking, yeah. It's hard to let go. And like anxious kids usually have anxious parents. So if it makes a parent feel better to give the teacher a up saying, just so you know, I've gotten the advice to take a step back. If things, it's not because I don't know, it's because we're trying something new. If that eases their anxiety, do it. Communication is great. It's a good point. So true. You know, keep the team in the loop. And also, okay, I say this too. Parents need to tell their kids that too. You're going to suddenly make, say, sit down with your kid and say, listen, our arrangement you is not working for either of us. I know I'm driving you crazy. I'm driving myself crazy. I need you to step up and I'm stepping down. So this week, say, I'm not going to remind you and we'll see how this goes. Amazing. It's, it's so true. You know, I had a client that I recently stopped working with and that is exactly what we did. We sat down 
the, the, her mother, she's in middle school, and myself, and we sat down and talked about that. And mom said, okay, I'm going to step back and I'm not going to remind you. And this is your opportunity to graduate out of ed therapy. So she stepped up. She wanted to graduate out and she did. So that was an instance where that definitely worked really well. And, you know, mind you, it's not going to always work in every situation because there might be other things going on. Mm -hmm. But when it can work, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, when it's a simple fix, there's nothing better. Sometimes there's more going on, but it's worth trying. I think it's important. I think even if you try it and it doesn't work the first time, I think it's important to not feel like you know, six months down the road or something that it wouldn't be worth trying again. Yeah. Because I've had parents sit there and say like, we've tried that and it didn't work. And that wasn't this moment in time. And your child wasn't at that maturity level that they're at now, etc. So I think the message too is not to give up just because it doesn't work the first time. Oh, definitely. It, it probably won't work the first time, I would say. Yeah. When we're having this conversation, I feel like one of the ways this really presents for us is we have to put boundaries on how many times a parent can check their kids' online portals. And what we find is that we're checking it. So the parent feels like they don't have to. It creates a more symbiotic home life where that's not the extent of their relationship with their kid anymore is entirely conversations about these assignments that look missing, but the teacher just hadn't updated and kids don't want to be micromanaged Mm -hmm. to that extent. Cause we have parents who like check the portals. Like we check Instagram, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. they're locking into it a lot and nothing is changing on it either. And so having parents kind of even take that out of the relationship really does shift a lot because that has a huge impact on the middle school and high school students' relationships with their parents. Where do you work and who do you work with? So I work in Beverly Hills and I most see anxious women in their 20s and 30s who are going through either life transitions or just wanting to cultivate more self-awareness of who they are and how they became that way, kind of more insight-driven work is what I'm doing right now. And do you work virtually? I prefer not to. I will do it in certain circumstances, but I prefer to work in them. And how can people get in touch with you? And definitely give your Instagram a shout out because anytime something happens in pop culture, I'm like, what does Deanie say about this? <laughs> <laughs> so my Instagram is at Dr. Deanie and my name is spelled D-E-A-N-I-E. I like to kind of psychoanalyze pop culture and do some takedowns of negative mental health, self-help type things I see because I think there's a lot of BS out there. You guys definitely follow her because it's super entertaining. And Deanie and I have had many a conversation about certain reality TV stars because when something happens on a television show, I'm like, what does Deanie think about this whole thing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Big reality TV fan over here. And then My website is drdini.com. And if you want to book a phone consultation for 10 minutes, you can do that on my website. And I also have a postdoc 
in my practice, she's a therapist who works for me. Her name's Elizabeth Slater and she's amazing. So she particularly likes working with teens and LGBTQ issues. So that would be, you know, she's a good resource for that. Oh, that's fantastic. So if you guys are thinking Deanie might be a good fit for you, you should definitely reach out to her. You can also email us and we'll intro her you guys, if that's easier. But just one more reminder, guys, that Steph and I are going Facebook Live again in our Smarties of the Learn Smarter podcast Facebook group. Those have been really fun. We get to interact with you guys in a different way. And we feel like we know so many of you better now because you guys come hang out with us. So that's going to be on Thursday, May 2nd at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that's the Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast Facebook group. Thank you so much for being here, Dini. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. It was great. I loved it. I love getting to bring people that I adore in real life, IRL, <laughs> onto the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Dini. Thanks, Dini. Okay, bye, guys. So, you guys. How did you all feel when Dr. Dini said that you should not take full responsibility for your kids' assignments and let them own it a little bit more? That's why I made her say it twice. Yeah. Because I felt like I needed to hear it again. And it's something that we talk about a lot. It's something that we know. But I never really thought about it as when the parent takes responsibility for it, only one person needs to own it. Yeah, it's so true. And I was just thinking, like, parents, did that make you feel a little uncomfortable? Did you all of a sudden realize that you were actually the one taking responsibility, hadn't realized it? And does your kid actually feel like they own their school stuff and are kind of in charge of it? Because if they don't, what a great opportunity to teach them to take some responsibility, especially those of you who are feeling like they don't take responsibility for anything in their lives, like they don't clean their room, they don't do their chores, they don't walk the dog or whatever it is that you want them to do. This is a great opportunity. And I think the way Dr. Dini said it, it was just so succinct and it just made perfect sense. And also, I think that sometimes educational therapy can be a stepping stone in that process. Sometimes parents aren't ready to just completely go hands off. Well, great. Hire an educational therapist. You can talk to my practice about that. You could talk to Steph's practice about that. Mm -hmm. All those links are in our show notes. My practice is in Beverly Hills. Steph's practice, and if you want to work with her, is in Redondo Beach, California. We both do virtual sessions. But that can be a stepping stone in this whole process where there's still an adult with eyes monitoring it. Mm -hmm. We're also not ever going to be as emotionally invested as a parent is. Yep, And that's just the reality. Even though we are deeply connected to our clients and our students and we care so much we're still not mom yep right and so sometimes I think we can be a stepping stone in that process but as we bring our kids through all three phases of educational therapy through the assessment phase through the building phase through the competency phase and if you want to learn more about that that's in episode 37 where we talk about how educational therapy works This is what we're talking about. We're talking about building their responsibility and their sense of ownership. It's so true. And, you know, I think a lot of what she had to say about the anxiety that we don't even realize 
some of the anxiety that our kids or you guys as parents are experiencing. Yes. And sometimes when you take a step back, if you can remember to take a step back when you're feeling it, that's huge because I think also her saying not to just move past it, just sit with it for a little while and understand what's going on. You know, it's one of the things where I said, I've been working with Milkshake Girl. I keep asking her when it comes to education, when she's been impulsive. We're not talking about other impulsive moments. We're Mm -hmm. talking about educationally. And I said to her, when was a moment that you were impulsive this week? She said it was yesterday. I knew I had to do my math homework. I decided to go on my iPad and then I forgot about it, got in the shower. And then all of a sudden in the shower, I realized that I needed to do my math homework. Hmm. And as you guys know, our goal is to get all her homework in. And so after she got out of the shower, she did her homework. So that was a moment where she was impulsive about education. Now we're going to work towards being a little less impulsive if possible with regards to homework and studying and those kinds of things. But I think that's just another example of sometimes just taking stock can make a huge difference. Can I share a win that's completely unrelated to what we were talking about? Yeah. It's been a while, Smarty, since Steph and I have just had a chance to chat on the podcast. A lot of episodes we were traveling. Steph did a Facebook Live from Hawaii last week, (laughs) and I was out of the country as well the week prior. So we haven't had a chance to record anything for the podcast in a couple of weeks, probably three or four weeks, right, Steph? Yeah. And I haven't had a chance to tell you this. I am also going to have lunch with you in about an hour. So I could have told you this then, but we'll do it on the podcast. So I had a student yesterday. He was updating me on his calendar and what's coming up for him. He's in 11th grade and he has a math test coming up. And he looked at me. He's like, Rachel, I already did the red and the green thing. Yes. So for those of you who don't know what that is, we talk about it in creating a study plan. Episode four. Is it episode three or episode four? Episode four. Well, let's link both of them. Okay. Throw both of them in and because they're about studying. And what that is, is you take stock of everything you know versus everything you don't. And you give everything that you know a green light and you give everything you don't know a red light. And so when he said, I did the red green thing, I said, did you really? Because like, that's something we usually do in session together. He knows we're going to do it. But the fact that he did it ahead, I was like, you're killing it right now. He's getting in some competency phase. He's getting to the competency phase. He did have a backslide while I was traveling, which was super interesting because I had specifically said to him, don't let the wheels come off the wagon because I'm not holding you accountable Mm -hmm. because I won't be here to hold you accountable. Guess what happened? Mm. that being said he solved the problem within a week stuff created the list oh good he created a plan he put it in motion he did tell me he's like it's nothing was that hard it just required extra from him Mm. and i'm super pleased with him he's definitely getting towards the competency phase i think the only time i've ever talked about him on the podcast is that he has late work So he was one of the inspirations for that episode that we did on late work, Mm. which Steph will also link in the show notes. If you haven't listened to that one, that's a good one. All right, Smarties. Steph has to get in the car and drive (laughs) all the way up to me now. (laughs) I have to go make bread. I'm not kidding. I'm going to make bread in the bread maker, which is my favorite wedding gift ever. And Steph, I'll see you in like 40 minutes. Yeah. See you soon. All right. Have a great week, Smarty. Have a great week.